Well, this morning we come to the end of the book of James. We've been working through since Labor Day. It's one of the longest series I've done in a long time, 11 weeks. But anyway, we're here at the end. And uh, James, if you remember his story, we've been kind of building as we go along. He was talking to the people uh, who made up the church at Jerusalem and the struggles they'd been through, the trials they'd been through. And he'd spoken about temptations and all the issues we deal with in life. And he talked in this letter about living out the Christian life in practical ways. It can't just be theoretical. It's got to be real. Uh, he called them to love selflessly, to tame their tongues. Well, that's a call for us today in social media for sure, and even in interactions with each other. He called us to humble ourselves before a holy God. And he also encouraged us to find patience with whatever we face, whether it's going well or doesn't, isn't going well. Now he comes into the letter and he writes to a people to remind them to remain faithful, but to remain faithful in prayer, in the conversation that we have with God, that is an ongoing conversation we need to have. And that's the same call I believe God has for us today, that he says, I don't want you just to talk to me when things are hard or just when you think about it, but it's just to be an ongoing conversation for us, is have this ongoing, powerful prayer life with him where God's in the center of our life. And so when he gets to the end of his letter, he doesn't end with a whimper. He ends with a shout. He says, we need to pray. We need to talk to God. We need to be with God. We need to have a conversation with God so we can build that. I want to give you three steps from the last of his letter about how to do that and the way it relates to us rather quickly this morning, being aware of the time. And y'all are really rather go eat besides listen to me talk. I, I get it. Anyway, here it is. First of all, I want you to see this. It comes from verses 13 and 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I think the first thing we need to grasp here is this from the text, is that we, our prayer lives have to be established in relationship. We've talked a lot about relationship in James's letter because he talks a lot about relationship. And it's important that we have these interconnections and connections within the body of Christ. Since we get here, we surely have felt, I know I have through this letter, the tension that the people in James's day were faced with. Remember, they I've kind of depicted it as they lived on an island in a sense of Christian faith. And on one side were the Jews who wanted to tear them down. And on the other side were the Romans who wanted to tear them down. And it was like being in the middle of a river that's raging all around, trying to destroy and drown you. And you're trying to stand in the midst of it. How do you do that? You don't do it by yourself. You do it in relationship, this connection that we have. I think every one of us would probably say, and you would agree with me this morning, I believe, you say, yeah, we need to pray. You know, we really ought to pray. It's something we ought to do in our lives. And the answer to the problems in our life have got to be in front of us, but we can't do it with our tainted minds and hearts. We've got to have an intimate relationship. And so what James does here is he talks not just to those who are going through the hardships. Did you catch that? He says, not just those who are struggling. Is anybody suffering? Pray. If anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. You know, sing, singing praise in many ways is like having a conversation with God, isn't it? Who do we praise in praise? We don't praise each other. We praise who? We praise God. It's a relationship that we're having in that moment. And so this intimate relationship we need to have because when things go wrong and things do go wrong from time to time, and just like they face struggles, we face struggles, we've got to be ready and already connected to God. And the way we do that is how? Through prayer. 
Ultimately, the key to developing this powerful prayer life is in the relationship we have. Now, how do you develop a relationship? Now, according to Aaron, you just walk into the BCM and the wife dispenser pops out and here she is. That's what y'all heard, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I heard. You don't question God. Okay, I got you. But here's the reality. Even if that is the way it happens, you have to do what after that? You've got to cultivate. You've got to develop. You've got to work on. If you're going to have a good marriage, you've got to do what? You've got to work on it. If you're going to have a good relationship with your kids, you've got to work on it. It takes work. If you're going to figure out how to be a good employee or a good boss, you've got to what? We don't say that word we don't like sometimes. We've got to work at it. We've got to work on those things and keep at it. And it takes work. One writer said this, you don't learn to walk with God moment by moment in a moment. You don't learn to walk with God moment by moment in a moment. It doesn't happen immediately. He says it takes a lifetime to develop your heart muscles to consistently hear and obey the voice of God. So establishing a prayer life and a prayer relationship is done as we take steps. Even if they're faltering steps, even if we pray prayers that are goofy and messed up, we're making that progress by doing it again and again and again and learning to do it. We have to train ourselves to pray without ceasing, as Paul said it, to enter his courts with thanksgiving, to enter his courts with praise, and to come to God first, not last. You know, there's a saying in sports that you will miss 100% of the, of the uh, shots that you don't take. We're in basketball season now, so we'll, we'll talk about basketball. You know, you don't make a basket... If you don't take a shot, you go, well, I'm going to miss it. You remember Babe Ruth, home run king. You know what his batting average was? I'm not going to ask for out loud here. It was sometime in the 300s, wasn't it? It was low. You're going 300s. You know, if you make a a 30% in a class, you know what grade you get? Come on, y'all. That's an F. Babe Ruth was an F, F, F batter on a percentage basis. But when he hit it, oh, buddy, look out, right? When we do the things that we're supposed to do and they happen, it goes well. We take the effort. We take the shot. That's the way prayer is. When we choose to leave God out of the process, we shortchange the ability to play the game, if you will. Prayer has to be our go-to activity. We've got to establish it in relationships. Second, we need to, it's, in, it's also embodied in community. Look at verse 14 again. I'm going to kind of overlap a little bit this morning, a little bit differently than normal. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has a great power as it's working. Now, I need you to notice that when you move from verse 13 to verse 14, he moves in the Greek language from a singular uh, speaking to a plural. And what he's doing in that moment is shifting from being, it's about here you, but it's about now us. The shift is significant because while powerful prayer is founded on a one-on-one relationship, it actually is embodied when we do it communally, in a, in a community of faith, when we come together and walk together. And, and we dare not explain the verse away this morning. Look at that. It says, if you're, in, if you're in sickness, what do you do? You go to the doctor. You get your PPO plan out, and you get your card out, and you get your copay out, and you go get it fixed. Nothing wrong with going to doctors. I feel like we've been to doctors a lot lately in our house. We've got some illnesses running through our home. But ultimately, the big way to do it is what? 
to pray, to call for those around you, to come alongside you, to pray for, and even to anoint with oil. You're thinking, man, that's weird, anoint with oil. We don't do that. We're, we're kind of Baptists. We don't do that kind of stuff. You know, there's a place for that, to anoint with oil. don't have time to share a story, but it's something that I've had the opportunity to do multiple times, especially with folks towards the end of life, to just pray with them and anoint them with oil and pray God's blessing on them. It's an intent and very special moment when that happens. And we go, well, that, we just don't do that. Maybe we should. Something special happens when God's people come together. This, this doesn't happen when we have the entire group together. It can happen. That's one of the reasons I think we need to be praying in church. It's a, it's a corporate, corporate prayer, being praying together, right? Lately, I've been leading this in that. doesn't mean I have to do it all the time, but we need that time of prayer. We also need small groups of prayer, right, where we come together with three or four other trusted believers and we pray together for an issue because powerful prayer is found when we gather together with others. You go, well, I can meet Jesus out on my own on the lake. You can, but you can't have community in the boat. You can't have community in a deer stand. We need each other, right? We need that relationship to come together. And when we do that, we will see all kinds of good happening. We'll see sick people healed. We'll see whether it's physical or, or eternal healing. We'll see sins forgiven. We'll see relationships mended. We'll see relationships strengthened. How many of us in the, in the body of Christ and the beloved have fallen ill because we are carrying with us unconfessed and unforgiven sin? How many of the beloved are weak in their walk because they allow the mess of life to just stay in their life? See, James understood that harsh times, and they were in it. We need to remember their context. They were in a situation where it was tough. And and, and to go through that, they didn't need to be bitter. They didn't need to have animosity. They didn't need to be trying to tear each other down. They needed to what? Build each other up, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to walk together, to be together, to be in the kingdom's work together. Because it really is pleasant when God's people come together and worship Remember what Jesus said about praying together. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered, you remember that verse? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. We have to choose to walk in prayer community because that's where we embody this effective prayer. And then third, prayer is expanded through faith. Look at verse 16. Some of you are going, didn't we already read that verse? Can we skip it? I don't like that verse. That's a weird verse. You ever come across a scripture that you look at it and you go, why in the world did he put that in there? You with me? Any of y'all want to come and have a sit down with me and I'm going to tell you all my sins and you tell me all your sins? You know, ain't going to happen. Y'all with me? Okay. Be careful how you read this. Look at the verse. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah, James would go back to Old Testament imagery over and over and over. He does it again here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Aren't you glad Elijah had your nature and my nature? And what does that mean? He wasn't perfect. He failed. He messed up. He had to confess his sins. You're going, but Elijah was a prophet. He was pretty powerful. But he had a nature like who? Like us. That's important to catch as you look at this. Look what he did. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed what? Fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul 
from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As James moves into this last part of the passage, he talks here about the powerful prayer based on a relationship with God. He's talked about it embodied in a community with other believers, but he said ultimately it's going to have to expand in our lives. How? With faith. He says, this is how you do it. He gives a cultural reference that his readers would have got. Now, you know who Elijah was, but let me remind you real quickly. Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. You remember that after King Solomon died, uh, his son and others divided the kingdom up because of their petty differences and they ended up in two nations, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. By the way, you all have heard me see this before, Elijah, uh, the northern kingdom never, ever, 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 ever had a good king. That would be never. Y'all with me? Never had a good king. But he was the prophet during a guy named Ahab who was the king. Not the Arab, Ahab the king. Okay, y'all with me? And his wife was a sweetheart of a sweetie named Jezebel. You know, we don't name our daughters Jezebel because of her, but that's the way it goes. They lived in that day, and God had sent this prophet to the nation telling them that God's wrath is about to fall on them. And Elijah, a man like us, a nature like us, who was imperfect like us, did something that was amazing. He prayed fervently. Now, can I tell you something about his prayer? It was not his first prayer in life. Y'all with me? He had prayed before. He had prayed a lot before. He had practiced prayer. He had worked at prayer. He'd been working on it. He'd gotten better at it. He'd spent more time with it. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And when God brought him to this moment, he says, I'm going to pray and there's not going to be rain for three and a half years. Man, we go three weeks and our property dries up, right? Can you imagine three and a half years? Guys, the deer population would be decimated after three years, wouldn't it? That'd be sad for some of you guys that love to go hunting. But can you imagine living in that kind of drought? And then he prayed again and what happened? It rained. You're going, man, that's a powerful prayer. Absolutely. That's the point I want you to catch. But notice this. His prayer was not based on his ability, his goodness, or his greatness. It was based on who? On God. Ah, there's the truth I want you to get, really. Our prayer lives have to be somehow rooted and grounded and dug into a relationship with God that affects our relationships with each other and transforms who we are as we talk to God. The big idea is this, as we take faithful steps to allow God to develop our prayer lives, we'll begin to see powerful powerful prayers bubbling up on our souls. And in those prayers, we find God speaking, moving, blessing in amazing ways. Now, what do we do with a passage like this? You probably wish I'd go back and really dig on that first verse, confess sins to one another. That's a sermon unto itself, okay? So we'll leave that to another day. But here's the three things I want you to see. Number one, if you're going to develop a prayer life, guess what you got to do? Okay, y'all go ahead and say it with me. Duh, pray. Say, duh. I mean, if you don't pray, how are you going to develop your prayer life? Right? You go, well, but I want to be, I want to have a good prayer life. Then guess what you got to start doing? Praying. You're going, well, come on, pastor. That's got to be more than that. No, it's really that simple. We often say we, we really want to have a powerful prayer life. We all think God to answer our prayers. He likes to do things when we pray, but we don't pray. I suspect for many of us, this is our reality. We know we should pray. We know we ought to pray. We, we really believe God answers prayer. We believe God's followers ought to pray together. And yet we do what? We forego prayer. 
What gives? Hey, I, I have a nature just like yours, just like Elijah. I struggle with things. I get busy. I have other things in life to do. I get caught up in the, the, the hubbub of life and running. I do this. Gotta, and, and prayer gets pushed off to the side. I, 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 prayer is like so many activities. If we don't do them, don't do it, we don't get better at it. You know with me? We, we got to do it. We've all heard of, y'all heard of Leonardo da Vinci, right? You've heard of Beethoven, right? You've heard of Michelangelo, correct? You've heard of Shakespeare, right? You remember their amazing works. Can I tell you something? They had some real stinker works before the good works. Did you realize that? Shakespeare wrote something that nobody wanted to read. Michelangelo made a, a statue that was low, wonky and goofy looking. Nobody wanted to look at it. You're going, I didn't know about that. You know why? Because we focused on their amazing works. But how did they come out to become an amazing artist or amazing composer, or amazing writer, or amazing person? By spending time doing their craft again and again and again. That means you might fail at it. You may mess it up. It's okay. You got to keep doing it. Those repeated efforts at their craft resulted in them doing their, their craft well. And I think that's the approach we've got to take with prayer. You're going, but I don't like messing up. Me either. You all may not know this, but I have a perfectionist tendency. My wife goes, amen. The secretaries in the office go, yeah, we know. I want it exactly right. I hate when I mess up the slides on Sunday, when I get up here and look up and the wrong screen's up there and it's not their fault, it's my fault. I'm going, sets me off for about a minute. I mean, just, oh, I don't like that stuff. But we need to remember that a direct relationship, a result of our relationship with Christ is that we have this, a boldness, and we can come to God and he goes, I don't care if you mess it up, just come. Come and talk to me. Come and have a relationship with me. You're going, so I got to set aside five hours every morning to get on my knees and do this. I've told you all this before. I think so often there's nothing wrong with having to set aside time. We need that time. But we also need to start developing this relationship where we just have an ongoing conversation day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. We just talk to God. You're going, well, people think I'm crazy. You're not talking to yourself. You're talking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for crying out loud, right? Talk to him. Develop it. The more you do it, the more it's easy. The more easier it is. The more easier, more easy. That's not good English, but y'all got it. It's gooder, okay? It's great. We keep working at it. Keep doing it. Keep praying. You know, we're not shut out of his throne room. Well, I'm reminded of this passage, especially verse 12. Ephesians 3, 11, 12 says this, This gospel was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have, catch this, underline it if you don't mind right in your Bible, we have what? Boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What is he talking about? Do you realize that as a child of God, you have instant access to the throne room of God to come in and have a conversation? You don't have to say, hey, you got time for me? Would you let me come? Can I have a minute? He says, I'll, I'll give you a minute. I'll give you all day. It's yours. Come on in and have that conversation. Number two, togetherness leads to effective prayer. There's a principle here I want we to grasp, and it's the idea that when we are not walking in community and unity with other believers, our prayer lives will be hampered. But something special happens when God's people's God's people come together in harmony and unity. There's a blessing that comes out of that. There's something amazing that happens when we come together in a common cause of Christ. You go, but hey, we're all different. Hey, we're all different. 
we come from different backgrounds, right? We have different educational backgrounds. We have different financial backgrounds. We have different uh, marital issues. Some of us are married. Some are not. Some have had marriages that haven't succeeded. Some of us have. Some have got lots of kids. Some of us don't have kids yet. Some of us, we're all different. We're all different. But when we come together as the body of Christ, that togetherness brings about an effectiveness in prayer. But, but that runs counter to the world we live in. See, we live in a day, I want to tell you this, we live in a day just like the day of Adam and Eve's kids, of a stubbornness, of a rebelliousness, of an independent streak that says, I can do it on my own. I'm, I'm better. I can handle this myself. And at some level, we've bought this idea that says, it's just me and the world against Jesus. Let me try that again. Me and Jesus against the world. I got it out of order there. I'm here to tell you that approach to life is dark. That approach to life is depressing because you don't have that togetherness with other believers. We need each other. The people in James's day to get through what they were going through needed each other. They were on the island with everybody attacking. We're on an island church. The world's against us. We've got to deal with something to get together to work, to stand against that. Listen to what the psalmist said. We prayed it a few minutes ago. He says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when the beloved dwell in unity. It's like precious, precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the air, beard of Aaron, the, the priest, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon. That's a mountain in northern Israel, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For, here, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. That's the whole psalm, by the way. This idea of coming together, working together for fellowship, for ministry, for worship, for mission is amazing. But another part of that coming together is that our prayer lives become effective in that moment when we're not living at odds with each other. But we're coming together to stand before the Lord. By the way, those things don't happen by accident. You go, well, I hope it just happens someday. I gotta tell you, it won't. We have to make a conscious decision that says, I'm going to be a person of peace. I'm going to be a person who works for unity. I'm going to be a person that works for goodness together to bring about the better in my life. And then there's one more point I want you to see before we wrap up, and it's this. Confession of sin is necessary to grow. That's almost another duh statement, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing earth-shattering in this message today that's different or weird. But there's a principle I think we've lost in modern Christianity, and it's this. We don't confess our sins because in many ways we have, are living in a culture that says, well, there really aren't sins. There are just different choices on how we live. And everybody's choice is as valid as everybody else's choice. Therefore, there's no wrong. I'm here to tell you, God's word would disagree with that statement. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You know, there's a lot of folks in our day and age that says, oh, sin, that's just an old past, old passe thought. Nobody really sins, do they? It's not a sin. You don't believe that's true? Look around the world. Things that we clearly understand within God's word are sins that are abominations before God. Now we say it's just an alternative life. 
a different way of living. It's okay. See, just because we try to redefine our sin or somehow somehow take it on as our identity, the the, the one that gets me is that people say, well, God created this in me. Well, you're going to give God credit for what is an abomination and try to claim it's a blessing. What is wrong with us? Church, we know better than that. When we hold on to those sins instead of forgiving, confessing them and asking his forgiveness, we, we just stay in the midst of it. And, and we become to a place where we do what we want, and even though it's painful and not good. And what we've got to do is come to a place where we say, okay, God, this is not easy. I, I, I don't like admitting I'm wrong, but God, I'm wrong. This is a sin. You call it a sin, therefore I'm going to call it a sin. You call it an abomination, therefore I'll call it an abomination. And I will repent of that, and that means to turn away from it. I will confess it, and you will forgive. See, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we'll confess those sins. Psalm 32.5 says this. David, you remember he had some issues later in his life about adultery and murder. You realize David was an adulterer and a murderer. And you're going, wow. He said this, God, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You go, man, I don't know if I could do that. And I tell you something, if you want a powerful prayer life, you've got to learn to confess sin. You've got to say, God, here it is. He knew he was wrong. Remember, he had taken another man's wife, had an adultery, adulterous relationship with her. She got pregnant. He made sure that the husband got put in the wrong place in the battlefield and got him killed, and he got caught. And even if he hadn't gotten caught, it was wrong. He had to confess it. And until he confessed that sin, he didn't have God's forgiveness. He would have been stuck in that moment. I think often we do that. We know we've done something wrong, but we go, well, it's just who I am. It's part of who I am. I, I remember <laughs> there was a lady. I think I've told you all this once before. There was a lady at my last church. Her name was Helen Desaw. Helen uh, was from North Louisiana originally, but they lived down there and worked in a plant. And the first time I met her, I walked up and she said, well, I'm Helen Desaw. My name's Hell and his name's Lynn. And together we make Helen. And I go, okay. And I discovered real quickly that Helen was a very um, <clears throat> blunt individual who would tell you what she thought, whether it was good, moral, nice or not. And everyone would just go, oh, well, that's just Helen. And we'd excuse her sin of gossip and her sin of backbiting and her sin of this and that. I, I had the privilege to perform her funeral one day, loved her death. But we so often treat sin flippantly, don't we? And when we do, it affects our prayer lives. It affects our relational value with our others around us because we're living in it. So how do you get out of that? Well, we come to the end of the service, and I just want you to hear, if you are here today and you don't know how to receive that forgiveness, man, I'd love to talk with you after the service. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. Maybe you're ready to make that decision and you've already made it and you want to make it public. We want to give you that opportunity here today too. Maybe you're here today and you've been attending our fellowship for a while and you go, well, I know I need to become part of the fellowship officially. Maybe today's the day you do that. Whatever God has for you today, would you let him lead you? Let your prayer life become rich and vibrant because you're in relationship 
in connection with others. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you thanking you for your love for us, thanking you for your blessings, we thank you for your grace. And Father, when we sin, and we do, Father, help us learn to confess those sins and to let you forgive us of those sins so that we don't inhibit our prayer lives with you. Father, an unconfessed sin will stop our prayer lives. We don't want that. We want our prayer lives to be rich and vibrant and alive and in fellowship with one another. We pray your blessing on this time of invitation and the things to come after in Jesus' name.